So we actually think, well, everybody says, you know, say the R word and everybody runs to the hills and gets scared. We're saying the R word and we're looking at where stocks are and we're getting super excited. Mm -hmm. Really, like you make money in bear markets. That's what, that's how you put yourself in a position to make money in a bear market. Hello and welcome to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how are the BIPs doing today? How are the BIPs doing today? Today's uh, today's pretty flattish. Um, down, up, down, up, up, down, down, up, up, down. Can't make up their minds. The market's volatile these days, Aaron. It's volatile. Well, we're definitely going to get all of that into all of that in just a few moments. But if you're joining us for the first time, Hypergrowth Investing is a weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we will take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. We go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind. That is the Luke Lango. Luke I know we have a ton of stuff to cover, so let's just dive right in. Uh, the yield curve, it's rapidly flattening. The two years currently at around 1.6. The 10 years currently around 1.85. Uh, I think the question in everybody's mind when, when we see this is, is there a recession coming? Um, yeah, the R word, the scary, scary R word. Um. A recession is, there is a much higher probability of a recession over the next 12 months than there has been, I would say, for the past few years. I mean, obviously, we had the COVID-19 March 2020 recession. Nobody saw that coming. That was just kind of like a very quick hitter type thing. But um, excluding that, the odds of recession over the next 12 months today are significantly higher than at any point I would say since, um, since maybe 2007. Um, mm -hmm. That that's really the situation we're in. The, the markets are are saying something to us. We have to pay attention to them. Markets are not dumb. Uh, Russell 2000 entered a bear market. That was kind of the first thing to happen. So small caps went into a bear market. Uh, Nasdaq just hit a bear market yesterday. So now tech stocks are in a bear market. Uh, the S&P 500 seems to be on its way, 16, 17, 18% down. A couple more down days, we're in a bear market there. Dow just went into correction. So, you know, this is starting to feel like a rolling bear market. You know, you started with small caps, moved to tech, moved to like regular stocks, mid cap, and now rolling to large caps. Starting to feel like a, a rolling bear market. Outside of that, to your point, the bond market is flashing warning signs the the yield curve is something everybody watches very closely yield curve inversions have successfully predicted every recession basically ever uh when the two-year flips above the 10-year in terms of yields that's normally a very very bad sign from the bond market that the u.s economy is in a bad position or going into a bad position uh we got down to 20 basis points on that spread at one point i believe it was yesterday We've since brought it back out, but we're only at like 25, 26 bips. 
we've had this substantial flattening to below 30 bips on the 10-2 spread. Um, such phenomena in the bond market have happened six times since 1980. Four of those times, we went into a, it went into an inversion and then it went into a recession. Two of those times, we didn't get an inversion and therefore there was no recession. But in those two other times, the Fed cut rates to avoid the inversion and avert a recession. The Fed's not really in a position to cut rates this time. So that's worrisome. Then the second part of this is oil prices are spiking. Commodity prices are spiking. Not every recession in history has been caused by an oil price spike, but oil price spikes have normally led into recession. So you kind of have these two things working together. There is a lot of data to support the notion that the odds of a recession over the next 12 months are, I would not say it's above 50%, but I would say that it is something that all investors should prepare for, be aware of first off, prepare for and make adjustments to their portfolio uh, to you know adjust to the fact that the US economy is likely braced for zero growth and negative growth, maybe for a few quarters. Um, that's a very real possibility from where I sit today. That, that's what we believe. Is there a difference between what we're potentially going to be seeing in the next year or so and past recessions that have happened? Or are the indicators yeah, we said the indicators no, that no, we're seeing no, right now? I mean, what you're saying is we say the R word and everyone freaks out and wants to go hide for cover and say the, the end of the world's coming. And that's because... When we think of recession, we all think of 2008, right? Like, yep. that's just what everybody remembers because it's, it's the most recent one. Yes, COVID-19 was a recession, but nobody really considers that a typical recession. So nobody really thinks back that when you, when you say recession. When you say recession, everyone goes back to 08. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that mentality is that 08 was a very atypical recession. That was deep. That was mean. That was scary. That was vicious. That was the worst recession the U.S. economy had seen since the Great Depression. So the worst it's seen in 80 years. That is not what a typical recession looks like. A typical recession looks like what you had in 0102. It looks like what you had in, in 1991. It looks like what you had in the early 80s. A typical recession is just an economic reset of sorts where growth gets tough for a little while, stocks drop for a little while, and then everything gets back to normal. So it's not like this deep, 50% drawdown in the stock market, this deep contraction in the economy where unemployment soars to 15 or 20%. No, no, that's not the situation we're going for. This is going to be a run-of-the-mill recession. It's going to, if we do get one, it will be a run-of-the-mill recession. It will be very ordinary and mundane. It will be mild. It will be uh, short. And in that situation, from a market perspective, stocks normally drop about 18 to 20% in those typical run-of-the-mill recessions. The S&P's already down nearly that. The NASDAQ's down more than that. The Russell's down more than that. So one could very reasonably argue stocks are already largely priced for a recession, uh, a short, typical run-of-the-mill recession. So we actually think, well, everybody says, you know, say the R word and everybody runs to the hills and gets scared. We're saying the R word and we're looking at where stocks are and we're getting super excited. Mm -hmm. Really, like you make money in bear markets. That's what that's how you put yourself in a position to make money in a bear market. 
And that's what you have an opportunity to do right now. We think a lot of the correction has already happened in stocks. We think the, the correction in small caps has really already been done. Large mm-hmm. caps still have a little bit longer to go, a little bit farther to drop. But now is a really time, a really good time to start positioning yourself aggressively for a rebound. Um, because peak euphoria is the top of markets and peak mm-hmm. fear is the bottom of markets. And now that everybody's talking about a recession, now that everyone's getting fearful of a recession, now that everyone's getting really spooked about an economic slowdown, that usually means we're kind of getting into a washing out period. And I think, you know, maybe a couple more, uh, I don't know if we drop another five, 10% in the markets, but an, another big washout and we'll finally be at this capitulation moment that'll be ready for a rubber band bounce back. And I think for investors, now is a really good time to start positioning yourself aggressively for that rebound as opposed to being defensive and saying, oh my gosh, I need to protect my wealth. You should have been doing that, you know, 20% ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact of the matter is a lot of us didn't. So now we're 20% down. Yeah. Don't shoot behind the duck. Don't play defense now. Play offense mm-hmm. now. Okay. Um, and so that's that's where we're coming at it from. Recession, maybe it, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Regardless, don't get scared. Get aggressive. Get ready to buy because there's some great opportunities in the market right now. So you mentioned those opportunities. Uh, for, and for investors, that is fearful. What What is that play? Is it is it cash? Is it gold? Is it growth? Is it value stocks? Is it just holding on to what they already have? What is the yeah. the play right now? Yeah, I mean, so as long-term investors, I'm obviously going to say uh, grow stocks. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in chasing the gold trade. Mm-hmm. I think that gold historically is, is a non-alpha producing asset. Uh, while it works well during uh, recessionary periods, while it works well during times of economic uncertainty, it does not work well 95% of the time because 95% of the time we're not in those types of periods. And so I'm not a big believer in, in gold. I'm not a big believer in oil. I think this massive uh, price spike in oil is entirely unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing research last night. U.S. oil consumption and world global oil consumption per capita has dropped precipitously over the past 20, 30, 40 years. In fact, in the U.S., U.S. oil consumption per capita is down about 20% from the 1970s. So a lot of people think we're going into this 1970s stagflation type era where rising oil prices just kind of destroy everything. That won't happen because we don't have the reliance on oil that we did in the 1970s. Our reliance on oil was, in fact, 20% higher per capita than it is today. And it's falling, rapidly falling. And we have very viable alternates in uh, solar energy and electric vehicles and things like that. So I'm not a big believer in this big oil price spike. I think it's kind of like oil's last breath. I do think that the terminal value there is indeed zero. Um, Does that mean it's going to go to zero? No. Um, but I think that what you're doing here is trying to time that trade and that's mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to do. At some point it's going to come crashing back down and that's going to be a point that there's going to be a lot of sellers and not a lot of buyers. Don't like that type of market. Um, cash, well, inflation is very hot, very high. So cash, you're going to be actually eroding your purchasing power and your, your real wealth. So I would not be doing that. Bonds, you're getting 1.8%, maybe 1.9, maybe 2, depending on where the 10-year lands. Uh, in a 7.5%, 8% inflationary environment, you're getting negative real return. Also not great. Value stocks, well, value stocks tend to be closely correlated with cyclicals. And cyclicals are tied to the economy. So if we do enter a recession, if we do enter an economic uh, slowdown here, 
those cyclicals are going to get crushed. Not to mention those cyclicals were really pushed up in 2021. So they actually have a lot of room to fall here in 2022 if we do get this recessionary period. So I would say pass on that. So what are we left with? Right? I mean, what are we left with? We're left with these stocks that no matter what, mm-hmm. well, continue to grow their revenues and earnings because they are tied to secular growth narratives. And that is growth stocks. Mm-hmm. I think growth stocks have been wiped out. Growth yeah. stocks valuations are relative to their growth profiles cheaper mm-hmm. than anything in the market right now. Mm-hmm. And they are the companies that regardless if the economy booms in 22, falls in 22, goes flat in 22, has stagflation in 22, regardless, mm-hmm. they're going to continue to grow their revenues and earnings. Lucid's going to continue to deliver cars. Rivian's mm-hmm. going to continue to deliver cars. SoFi is going to continue to grow their, their banking app. You know, mm-hmm. these companies are going to continue to do what they do, which is grow at lightning speeds, regardless of what the economy is doing, because they don't need a solid economy to continue to grow. They're relying on secular growth trends that do not waver. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think the best place to be right now is in washed out growth stocks. Does that mean they're going to rebound like a rubber band real quick? No. Mm -hmm. But if you hunker down in these names right now and you develop and establish low cost bases in these names, you are going to be so happy you did so in 2025, in 2027, in 2030. Because when was the best time to buy Amazon? Mm-hmm. During a recessionary period in 2001, 2002, after it had dropped 90%. When was the best time to buy Netflix? During a recessionary period in 2007, 2008, after the stock had dropped 50, 60, 70%. When was the best time to buy Microsoft? After the flash crash in 1987, during an economic slowdown, during the savings loan crisis in 1989, after the stock had washed out 40, 50%. The best time to buy next generation hyper growth stocks with world changing potential is during periods exactly like the one we're in today. History repeats itself. This time is not different. Hunker down in the companies that by 2025, 2030 will be changing the world. Not ones that are going to protect your wealth in 2022 because by 2030, they're going to be nowhere. By 2030, the companies we're talking about will have completely redefined society as we know it. And they're going to look back at this crisis and say, what a little speed bump that was. It sounds like you're really excited about what's going on right now. Oh, no, dude. I, I've never been more excited in my investing career than right now. And that might seem so weird considering the absolute washout that growth stocks, especially hyper growth, early stage mm-hmm. tech stocks have had over the past 12 months. But washouts create fabulous opportunities. This is my shtick. Everybody has their shit, right? Yeah. And some people like to buy things that are going up. Some people like to ride trends, ride waves. I'm the guy that when stuff hits the fan, when things get ugly, that's when you get in there because that's where the opportunities really are. Life is like that. The markets are like that. So I honestly, Aaron, I've never been more excited to be invested in the market, to be invested in growth stocks than right now because I think the opportunities are absolutely insane and they're only insane they're only this good because everybody's so afraid of them right mm-hmm. if everybody was so bullish on them you wouldn't have the opportunities it's one of the um one of the analogies i like to use in investing is that if, if there's a street and you have people on each side of the street and you're on one side of the street and you look up and down the street and everybody's on the same side as you 
that that's not where you want to be in investing. Mm-hmm. Because if you're on the same side of the street as everybody else out there, and that means everybody else out there knows exactly what you know, is doing exactly what you're doing, and there's going to be no opportunity for any of you because you're going to have to share the opportunity. You're going to have to mm-hmm. split the opportunity. Whereas if you're on the other side of the street as a lone wolf and everybody's over here, if they're all wrong and you're right, you have to share it with nobody. You get all the rewards and benefits yourself. Mm-hmm. That's why I like to be on this side of the street where most people aren't or most investors aren't because that's where the real big money is made. And that's exactly what I see in growth stocks right now. So yes, in short, Aaron, I have never, ever been more excited about investing in these next gen growth stocks than right now. Well, probably another company that's actually equally as excited as you right now is uh, cybersecurity company Mandiant, who was just bought by Google for yeah. $5.4 billion. Uh, it's one of the largest acquisitions in Google's history. Yeah. Uh, it's a big bet in cybersecurity. And again, cybersecurity in general seems to be heating up over the last week uh, alone. Yeah. Are there any new insights in the cybersecurity sector right now? Oh, dude, we are we are huge on cybersecurity right now. We are mm-hmm. so bullish on that. We think right now the stage is being set for not just accelerated cybersecurity spend over the next few months, but over the next decade. Because the reality is cybersecurity has been lagging for a long time. Cybersecurity is the most important function in an enterprise's technology stack, bar none. Like, case closed. You need to secure your data and your digital workflows in order to run a successful operation, in order to protect your business, in order to protect your people, right? So that is the most important thing. Security is not an option. It's a mandate. Mm -hmm. Cybersecurity is not an option. It's a mandate. But for a lot of people, it's been an option so far because cyber threats have, they've been growing, but it's been kind of like these headline attacks. Maybe it doesn't impact me as much. Maybe I'm not so concerned about it. But what the Russia-Ukraine crisis does is it thrusts cyber warfare front and center. It makes it the thing that people are talking about, the thing that people are exceptionally worried about. Um, because the that conflict to date has been defined by cyber attack after cyber attack after cyber attack after cyber attack. And guess what? It's only going to escalate from here because Russia's going to retaliate against U.S. and NATO. They can't retaliate economically because they're not important enough. They can't retaliate militaristically because they're not big or strong enough. So they're going to retaliate via cyber. And that's why this warfare is going to be characterized by tremendous cyber warfare over the next few months. That is going to spark accelerated investment into cybersecurity from not just governments and intelligence agencies, but the companies in those countries, as well as um, people in those countries, personal cybersecurity could also become a really hot topic and hot trend over the next few months. Now, importantly, this sets the stage for accelerated spend over the next decade, because what we think happens is as all these companies spend all this money on cybersecurity over the next few months, they're going to realize, oh my gosh, why weren't we doing this before? Mm-hmm. And it's going to make next gen cybersecurity a ubiquity, a gold standard everybody's going to adopt it, every company, every country, every intelligence agency, every organization, so that over the next decade, you're going to get hyper growth in the cybersecurity industry. And it pretty much starts, I mean, it started a long time ago, but this is kind of like an inflection point. We're going to get that mm-hmm. hockey stick. Right now. Yep. We think we're at that inflection point. 
Great time to get into cybersecurity stocks. They're also, a lot of them are getting washed out right now. Great time to come in there, start nibbling, start buying, start establishing positions in stocks that will be long-term winners. One of them, Mandiant, to your point, just got mm -hmm. bought out by Google. Google paid, I think it was $5.4 billion for Mandiant. Their 2022 estimated sales, I believe, were like 520 million or 560 million, I believe. One of those numbers. Anyways, it's about 10x sales, 10x forward sales. For they're like a 15 to 20 percent revenue grower. So Google's come out and basically set a precedent for valuations in the cybersecurity space. 10x right. forward sales, 15 to 20 percent growth. When we look out at the industry and we were analyzing stocks, a lot of these cybersecurity stocks are trading at more attractive valuation profiles today, meaning that there is room for multiple expansion in a lot of the names um, as they currently stand, especially some of the more higher growth names that are growing much more quickly than 15 to 20%. Because some of the companies in the space, Aaron, are growing 100% year over year, growing 80%, 50% year over year. Those names we believe could be um, in position for significant multiple expansion over the next few months as cybersecurity spending really heats up. And what we're doing right now, another uh, anecdote here is, we're going into cybersecurity earnings season. Mm -hmm. So over the next two weeks, I believe starting Wednesday and the subsequent two weeks, we're going to get a series of cybersecurity companies reporting quarterly earnings. We're of the belief that we don't like to play earnings. That's not our game. But mm -hmm. we're of the belief that those earnings will likely be very good. We think the trailing numbers will be strong because the spending environment is strong. But more importantly, the guides will be really good. And these management teams are going to really talk up the potential with the current crisis, elevated demand, elevated interest. They're getting more phone calls, la di da la di do, more leads. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to see that theme come out in the conference calls of these cybersecurity companies over the next two weeks, and that could trigger a nice little rebound rally in these names um, into summer. But again, these are long-term investments, and we like them for the long haul. The mm -hmm. near-term bounce would be a nice plus. Now, aside from, again, the traditional things that you look for in anything, in all the research that you do with all the, the markets that you look at, uh, you know, yeah. we, we talked about it before. It's, uh, you know, are they well, are they known or do they have that uh, corporate structure in place? Who are the who's the talent behind it? What are some of the other things specific to cybersecurity that you're looking for yeah. in these cybersecurity companies when you're making these choices as to what makes a good investment? Right. So we're big on um, zero trust. Zero trust has to be, uh, I mean, it, it's something that's huge in the industry, something where you look for in all the companies that, that we are analyzing. Um, zero trust is basically this idea that regardless if you're the CEO of a company or the janitor, uh, the ecosystem, the cybersecurity ecosystem protecting that company's workflows and, and data requires you to confirm your identity. It has mm -hmm. zero trust for you as an outsider until you either two-factor authenticate into it or something along those lines. So we're big on that zero trust. You want to see companies that are crushing it in zero trust. You want to see companies that are crushing it in cloud security. Cloud security is very big, right? Because on-prem security is is important, but as more and more workflows and data migrate to the cloud, we need to we want to see companies that are able to secure that stuff in the cloud, provide cloud security solutions. So we're really big on that. Um, we're really big on endpoint detection. We think that endpoint detection and threat response is a very important theme and trend in cybersecurity right now, especially with the proliferation of IoT devices, of connected devices, of the remote workforce 
Um, and that kind of gets into identity-based security as well. We're really big on like identity cloud solutions, uh, two-factor authentication, as you mentioned before. We think of that as an increasingly important and will become a ubiquity um, as remote work, hybrid work, we're calling it, becomes the gold standard going forward. Um, and then to a lesser extent, we're looking for autonomous systems. That cybersecurity is very much a human-driven um, space right now. There are software programs, but the software programs are largely monitored, controlled, and used by humans, human engineers. There's a reason for that. You want humans to protect your system. You don't really trust machines as much right now. But we're looking for companies that are in the early stages of developing very robust uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning models to assist in the protection of data and workflows uh, via cybersecurity systems. Um, some are fully automated, some are semi-automated, but we're looking for those technologies as well because we think that 2030 net-net all said and done, cybersecurity will be autonomous. So who is leading that path? Um, so those are pretty much the things we're looking for from like a technological perspective on cybersecurity companies. Um, from a talent and management perspective, you know, we want to see top-notch engineers. We want to mm -hmm. see, if you're a newer company in the space, we want to see some churn from some older companies, more incumbent companies. Uh, so talent's a big thing here. We think that this is such a new space and it's such a dynamic space that you need top-notch engineers to navigate through that. So we're really looking into that stuff. And then we're looking to companies that have a lot of cash and, and can invest to grow. So mm -hmm. there are definitely various facets we're looking at for cybersecurity companies in general, but those are the big things we're focusing on. And we just finished this huge deep dive into the whole industry. And after looking at all the factors, you know, we've walked away with about, about a half dozen stocks that we think are absolutely fantastic buys, like the best, the best buys in cybersecurity right now. And unfortunately, Aaron, I can't share their names <laughs> with you. Uh, here on this call, but uh, we did just release a couple new buy alerts for our subscribers in this space, and we're really excited to be adding the stocks at this current time. We think these are the best stocks we're buying in the market right now. So I'm sure it's a great entry point, and again, perfect for that long-term uh, growth that we're always talking about. But one of the things that's going on in the, when we're talking about short-term uh, oil right now, and we touched about it a little bit when we were talking about uh, the potential recession is it's on a tear it's up 10 10x since pandemic yep. lows uh you know up 40 percent in just the last few weeks uh yep. the i believe at the, at the lows of the pandemic uh oil was around ten dollars a barrel and it's currently well above a hundred dollars a barrel um do you have any interest in i i know that we talk that you're not a big oil guy but is there any interest in this at all in any of the etfs in this sector um, I really hope I don't get any hate for this in the comments, but <laughs> here goes nothing. Okay. Lay it, lay it on us. The oil trade is for suckers. Okay. I, I think oil has, again, a terminal value of zero. You're seeing demand destruction. A lot of people are like, okay. So one of the arguments I see for oil is, mm -hmm. um, yes, electric vehicles are taking some demand away, but um you know there's, there's population here and now for for still gas yeah it's here and now for still gas and like population growth means and urbanization means more car sales which means you know even if gas-powered cars have a lower and lower portion of the pie 
that slice mm-hmm. is actually still growing because the pie is growing. So you actually don't okay. get demand destruction, demand growth there. And that's an argument I see get thrown around a lot, but it totally misunderstands the fact that passenger car sales, new passenger car sales globally used to grow at a very steady rate and have not grown over the past three or four years. Like growth is, has been flatlined there. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Well, population growth is still normal, so it's not population okay. growth. Urbanization trends are still alive and well, but you are seeing a lot of countries have already urbanized mostly. And so the urbanization tailwind for uh, passenger car sales growth has uh, faded over the past few years. And then I think above all else is the introduction of ride sharing technology platforms like Uber, like Lyft, like Didi, where Mm -hmm. if you're living in the city, you don't need a car at all anymore. In fact, all of my friends that do live in cities do not, like actually in urban areas, do not have cars mm-hmm. at all. And they have no intention to ever own a car. I have a friend who um, uh, actually ended up becoming an engineer at Uber and he, he never got his license, just okay. never saw a need. And I think there are more and more people that are like that uh, and that as autonomous driving becomes a thing, that's only going to become more and more uh, proliferated across the country, so across the world. And so I think that when you look at the long-term demand drivers for oil and you're relying on gas-powered cars to keep selling, the reality is the overall pie of passenger car sales is shrinking and gas-powered cars' share of that pie is shrinking too. So you're getting a double hit on the volume of gas-powered car sales out there. I think that's uh, that, that's a real big headwind for oil. I think that solar is really advancing. Wind is really advancing. Hydrogen is really advancing. I told you that oil demand, oil consumption per capita in the United States is already down 20% from mm-hmm. the 1970s. And my guess is it's going to continue to keep dropping at an even accelerated rate throughout the 2020s. So you're going to get a lot of demand destruction demand destruction in the oil markets. Not to mention as oil prices keep climbing, that's going to cause new supply to come on, right? Because refiners mm-hmm. that were not that were offline because they weren't profitable are now going to come online because they're going to start making money at these much higher levels, which means the market's going to get flooded with supply at the same time you're getting demand destruction. I think this ends horribly for oil bulls. Horribly. Does that mean you won't make money on this? Mm-hmm. You could still make money. Because okay. oil, run, you know, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, a lot of uh, firms are upgrading their oil price forecast. Can oil go to 135? Can it go to 140, 150, 175? Russia come out and said it's going to go to 300. That's not going to happen. Never listen to <laughs> Russia on anything. But um, yeah, could we make a run at 150? Could we make a push towards 175, 200? Maybe. That may be in the cars here in 2022. I'm not saying that won't happen. It may happen. The problem is, are you smart enough to buy now and sell then? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to buy now and think, it, you know, I'm going to sell 150. Tell yourself you're going to sell 150. It's 150. Ah, it's going to go higher. It goes to 175. Oh, my God. It's going to keep going higher. It goes to 200. Oh, it's going to keep going higher. And then, boom, in a matter of two weeks, it's back down to 100. Because mm-hmm. that is the playbook that I, that I very realistically think could happen here. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have the fortitude inside of yourself to, to sell at a peak or at a relative high as opposed to always wanting more because what happens psychologically with humans as investors is we always want more 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 and very few of us sell at the peak 
almost all of us buy low and then end up selling low too because we didn't time the market perfectly. Um, and I'm not a guy that wants to time the market. That's not my thing. I'm about time in the market, not timing the market. And I think if you were to buy and hold oil for the next five years, you're going to lose money, mm -hmm. uh, especially for these levels. You buy and hold for the next 10 years, you're going to lose a lot of money mm -hmm. over the next 10 years. So my strategy is buy and hold. My strategy is not buy and sell in three months. Yep. Because of that, I am completely bearish on oil. I will never touch oil. To those who make money on it, tip of the hat. I will never, ever, ever, ever scold anybody for making money in the markets. I think that's absolutely fantastic. But um, I think a lot of people are going to get fooled in the thing, and this is a long-term thing, and they're going to be left holding the bag at 140, 150 when oil is at 50 or 40 bucks in two or three years. Mm -hmm. We we talked. I mean, we know that there's a lot of factors, especially with the the Russia-Ukraine crisis, that are driving this price up right now. But yep. you talked about that 20% uh, that we are using 20% less uh, oil now than we were in the 1970s. Is this price increase warranted right now? And if so, what's driving such an incredible hike in that price right now? Well, it's the supply shock. It's, okay. it's what is probably turning into the largest energy supply shock the world's ever seen. Because... Mm -hmm. I mean, the U.S. is supposed to announce today a complete ban on Russian uh, energy, Russian oil, Russian natural gas. <laughs> that's never happened before. That, okay. That's absurd. You're basically taking off, you know, 10, 15 percent of the market for um, oil. And where's it going to go? Well, so there's going to be some some other buyers for it. But the big buyers are they're off the market. So all of a sudden, you know, you are causing a supply shock that is going to result in what you're seeing in the in the oil markets right now, which is mm -hmm. a spike to 130. And a lot of people think that will persist and, and allow us to get to 150, 175 on oil. Again, totally possible. Yes, the current spike is warranted. But okay. my whole thing here is very few of us are super successful timing the market traders. Like there, mm -hmm. there aren't that many people that are really that great at that. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think you are, play the game. Go ahead. Like, Best of luck. That, that, that's my advice. Best of luck, really, because that's not my game. It's not what I do. I think the odds of success there are very, very low. But the odds of betting on an electric vehicle maker to sell a whole ton of cars over the next 10 years, mm -hmm. much higher than betting on the fact that you're going to be able to time the peak in oil. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why for me, I'm like, oil, it's going to do its thing. It's going to move higher. And then it's it's going to the pitter-patter die and have a, a pretty dramatic collapse um, once this this crisis kind of moves into the rearview mirror. Well, speaking of oil and EV makers, uh, Elon Musk is calling uh, for the U.S. and the world to increase oil and gas output immediately. As one of the faces of electric vehicle electric vehicles and Tesla, what's going on here? Why why is 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 this kind of again to what you're talking about that supply shock or is this or is there more going on here than than we're seeing well elon is a unique individual a brilliant individual but a unique individual and he mm -hmm. says things all the time about various different things and he's become oddly political recently um and this comment does not feel very structural or fundamental. Uh, in okay. it. it feels more like a soundbite. Headline grabby. Maybe there's some political nuances there. I don't know. But I wouldn't read 
too much into that as his company ramps up production of electric vehicles in Germany and China and is trying to grow uh, annual delivery volumes by 50% per year. Um, you know, his comments stand in contrast to what his company is aggressively trying to accomplish. So I think that, you know, maybe investors would be best to ignore the, the headline catchy comments of Elon Musk and just focus on what Tesla's doing as a company. Does the... Does this increase in oil and gas prices impact uh, renewable energy adoption? Is this going to speed things along or is it going to be kind of this panic where people are going to, again, go back to what they know? Uh, what will it do? Uncertain. What should it do is spark a enormous acceleration in investment in and development of renewable energy technologies. Because as we talked about last call, I believe it was energy mm -hmm. independence. Energy independence built on fossil fuels is not globally ubiquitous energy independence mm -hmm. uh, because by their very nature, fossil fuels only exist in certain locations and therefore energy independence on fossil fuels is energy dependence on the countries that produce the most fossil fuels. If you want to actually create a world of energy independence, a world where we don't fight over oil and fossil fuels and energy then you need to create a world where we are built on the back of solar, where we are built on the back of wind, where we're built on the mm -hmm. back of hydrogen, um, where we have lithium-ion batteries storing all that energy. So that is the future that the world should aim for. That is a future that will get developed. I do believe that as a result of this, you're going to get an acceleration in investment and development of these technologies. I think it's a huge tailwind for clean, clean tech, and I think it's a good time to buy solar stocks, hydrogen stocks, and energy storage stocks. I think it's a good time to get into those names. Long-term winners, big near-term discounts, huge mm -hmm. tailwind to this crisis. People are going to be sick and tired of paying four bucks a gallon, four dollars and twenty dollars, four dollars and twenty cents a gallon, four dollars and forty, whatever the heck, wherever we're going to settle on gas prices, they're going to get sick and tired of that. They're going to see their heating bill this month, next month, into the summer, especially in the summer where they see anything like, oh my goodness, what on <laughs> earth? I think consumers are going to start pivoting towards electric vehicles, solar, energy independence. And that consumer shift is what's going to really propel a huge uh, growth outbreak in these, in these names. Well, speaking of consumer shifts towards alternative energy, specifically EVs, um, recently, with the exception of, uh, I think, Lucid and Fisker, uh, the shares of most of the EVs took a huge crash after a huge surge. Um, so kind of what's going on with EVs right now? Are people starting to second guess it a little bit? Is it having something to do with what's going on with oil? Is it just a part of this bigger narrative that's going on with, with the potential recession? What's going on with that crash in the EV sector? Um. Well, I, I haven't really seen a crash in the EV sector recently. EV stocks have actually performing quite strongly. Lucid's actually been performing weekly relative to the group. I know Lucid's um, been doing well, but uh, apparently Rivian, uh, Nikola, and Lordstown Motors, and Hylion, they, they haven't been doing so hot lately. Oh, I mean... Yeah, those names are... Those those are not good names. Those are not good Okay, <laughs> so it's the... It's the it's, okay. <laughs> uh... The if you zoom out, look at the big picture. What happened is in 2020, everyone got all excited about electric vehicles because everyone was bored as all could get out, uh, <laughs> sitting at home and doing nothing. And so, when you had all these SPACs and all these new companies come to the market, everyone pumped them up as the future of the future of the future of the future. 
and every these stocks started getting treated like they were going to take over the world like they were the next tesla hylion was the next tesla Lordstown mm-hmm. motors the next tesla xl mm-hmm. fleet was the next tesla they were all the next tesla and then you know two years later reality set in and mm-hmm. we realized they're not gonna all be the next tesla because what tesla did requires a tremendous amount of proper execution mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of resources a tremendous amount of support mm-hmm. um and a lot of luck okay. and when you put all that together that cocktail is something one out of every 10 ev makers will have the other nine out of ten won't so yes for every 10 ev stocks that were treated like the next big thing in 2020 Nine of them are failing in 2022 and will likely fail by 2030 and completely mm-hmm. because it's really hard to do this stuff. It's really hard to build an auto empire. It's really hard to become a Tesla-like company. Lucid's going to do it. Rivian's probably going to do it. Okay. A couple of the charging names have actually done really well. ChargePoint just reported fantastic numbers. They mm-hmm. significantly hiked their guidance for 2022 revenues. They're firing mm-hmm. all cylinders. We like that name a lot. So we think there are companies out there that have this cocktail and are going to become enormous long-term winners. But to your point, when you mentioned some of the other names you talked about, yeah, those were stocks that were completely hyped up in 2020 that honestly had no chance of succeeding from the get-go. So it's no surprise that they've come crashing down over the past two years. And are now essentially, a lot of those names are on the verge of bankruptcy and will likely go bankrupt over the next 12, 24 months. Well, the one that I'm probably, I personally am most excited about is Rivian. Uh, and they're reporting their earnings this Thursday. Is there going to be any significance to that? Or is it just going to be kind of business as usual with reporting their earnings? Well, it's going to be all about the production guide, right? Lucid. So Lucid actually has been hit recently because they cut their uh, production, the delivery guide for 2022. They were supposed to do about 20,000. That got cut down dramatically. Um, people are looking for Rivian. Are they going to have a similar guidance cut, delivery cut for 2022? Very likely. It's definitely mm-hmm. priced in the stock. You can see it's come crashing down. So it's priced already for a large delivery cut. The question is, how large is it going to be? People are going to be watching com- uh, management commentary on margins, management commentary on input costs, management mm-hmm. commentary on are they going to pass those costs on to, to consumers? Remember, Rivian had that scandal where they were not scandal, uh, that little issue where they were going to raise prices by a whole bunch and Mm -hmm. the stock reacted very negatively to that. Um, Lucid's kind of talked about raising prices, too. So these are the dynamics people are going to be watching for Rivian in in the quarterly earnings report. For us, I don't think any of that really matters. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't care if they raise prices, raise prices in 2022. I don't care if they deliver a thousand cars or 50,000 cars in 2022. All that matters to me is that they keep growing and they keep scaling production. They keep adding new talent. They keep rolling out new models. They continue to set and put themselves in a position to, by 2030, be producing millions of cars a year. So whether or not we're at 1,000 or 50,000 here in 2022, so long as they remain on track to get to that millions of uh, deliveries by 2030 kind of target, that's our target. Um, then I think that you know all is well in, in the Rivian kingdom. Uh, to be clear, not overly bullish on Rivian stock at, the, at current levels, but I think the company is a very solid company. The only reason the stock is a bit iffy to me is the valuation is pretty bloated and it's it's a market where high multiple stocks are not getting rewarded unless you have a significant near-term catalyst and Rivian I don't think has that but we'll see 
in the earnings report if they if they do have it. But long term, it's a fantastic company, and they're going to succeed. Well, shifting gears again, and kind of looking at how quickly things can change. Uh, last week, we, we talked about crypto. We talked about how you know Bitcoin was having this huge, massive gains because of you know people. Uh, especially uh, in Russia, switching from you know banking institutions and putting their money into Bitcoin, but it looks like uh, Bitcoin and alts have quickly given up those gains. And again, I think that you were right, definitely right, that there's this correlation between crypto and growth stocks. And growth stocks took a hit, and now crypto is taking a hit. Um, are there you know other developments, other things that you're looking at here? Um, as far as that correlation, as far as the reasoning between for why crypto is going down and, you know, what's, what's the move? Do we just hunker down and wait? Cryptos are in the same bucket as growth stocks right now. And the strategy is the same, uh, mm -hmm. from our perspective. So which is, yeah, hunker down and wait. But I mean, this idea that Bitcoin is digital gold, this idea that it's a safe haven asset. No, mm -hmm. no, just Maybe one day it will be. And I mm -hmm. think one day it will be. But the fact of the matter is safe haven and growth cannot go together. Okay. And Bitcoin and cryptos are one or the other. You, there is no such asset in the world that has ever existed or will ever exist that marries those two paradigms because those two paradigms are opposite. Mm -hmm. So you can either have the growth of Bitcoin where you can rattle off 100%, 200%, 300%, 400% gains in a crypto over a matter of months. Or you can have the safe haven where it's going to withstand broader macroeconomic volatility and uncertainty. But you can't have it both ways. That's having your cake and eating it too. Not possible. So right now, cryptos are in their growth phase. So they're going to be treated as such. They're going to be treated as risk assets, mm -hmm. as growth assets, as long duration assets. Long term, they're probably going to morph into something else, but we're not there yet. So mm -hmm. in the current environment, you have to treat Bitcoin like a large cap tech stock, like a sales force. And you have to treat Ethereum like that as well. And then mm -hmm. you have to treat altcoins, all the other coins out there, like your really small cap, mid cap, hyper growth tech stocks, like your Palantir or like your SoFi or mm -hmm. something along those lines. That's how you have to look at the crypto market today. And so from that perspective, how are we looking at that from a stock uh, angle? Well, we're finding opportunities in names that have been really washed out. We're hunkering down and we're waiting for the rebound. That's a pretty good strategy in cryptos right now. But don't get in there thinking that you're going to get the safe haven asset that's going to withstand macroeconomic volatility because you're not. Bitcoin had that head fake bounce when the whole Russia-Ukraine thing broke out and everybody mm -hmm. was going to Bitcoin and Ethereum, and it seemed like it was going to be this solution to the war. Um, and that was a complete head fake. You know, mm -hmm. we went from 38 to 42, busted all the way to 45, and now we come crashing back down to 38 mm -hmm. alongside growth stocks. So don't let that head fake fool you. It was a head fake. We are still stuck in a rough market for cryptos and will likely be so long as macroeconomic volatility exists. But again, going back to the top of this call, where there are crashes, there are opportunities. And we mm -hmm. are seeing some pretty pretty compelling opportunities in the crypto market, just like we are in growth stocks at the current moment. Well, I think that actually brings us perfectly into our first fan question of the week. Uh, this comes okay. from Mia T. Um, and then Mia T basically says, and Luke, your thoughts, one ghoul stock 
or one Ethereum coin, what is the best investment? One Google stock or one Ethereum coin, Ethereum over Google or okay. Alphabet, I would, I would say. Absolutely. Um, I think Alphabet has, that's a great company. It's mm -hmm. got a lot of long-term potential. The, the Waymo division is especially interesting, but my concerns about Alphabet are that Waymo, from my understanding of the industry and, and the people I talk to inside the industry, Waymo is losing its lead. Waymo came out to this huge lead in autonomous driving, was the leader in ride sharing, but has since kind of, they lost their CEO. They've lost some top talent. The other companies have gotten a lot of VC funding. They've gone public. They've raised huge money. Their awareness is up. They're expanding their testing. So Waymo used to have this head and shoulders lead over everybody else in self-driving. I think that now has been shrunk significantly. Uh, therefore, I think the valuation, long-term valuation attributed to Waymo should get shrunk significantly as well. Um, the advertising business, I think, is is strong, but the search business, I don't believe, is as strong as some believe it is. Uh, YouTube is strong, but the search business, I'm a little bit worried about. The cloud business is good, but I like Microsoft's cloud business more. I like Amazon's cloud business more, so I'm not super bullish on Google Cloud. So net-net, Alphabet, great company, great stock. It's going to mm -hmm. produce alpha. It's going to get, get you some good returns over the next several years. But relative to Ethereum, Ethereum doesn't have those red flags or some of those problems that I think Alphabet does. It's much earlier in its growth cycle. It's got a lot more weight to gain over the next few years. And it's been beaten up way more. It's been beaten okay. up way, way, way more than, than Alphabet has. And so I think that if you're choosing between an Alphabet and Ethereum, I would probably go Ethereum at this point in time. Got it. All right. Our second question comes from Stock Guy. In this rate increase environment, will small caps once again go nowhere or worse down? Please answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think what people have to understand is the Fed hiking rates at this point is kind of like it doesn't matter that much <laughs> because yeah. the yield curve has already adjusted to the fact that the Fed is forecasting four, five, six rate hikes in 2022, right? Mm -hmm. The two-year treasury yield is supposed to track the Fed funds rate almost verbatim, lockstep. Yeah. But the two-year treasury yield is up at 1.5% and the Fed is at zero. So you have 150 basis points spread there, which implies six rate hikes priced into the treasury yield market. You have not seen a spread that large in a long, 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 long time. So what matters less than does the Fed hike rates, it is what is the Fed going to do in the rate hike cycle? Are they going to actually hike six times? Or are they going to hike just three or four times in 2022? Because if they hike three or four times in 2022, what's actually going to happen is the yield curve is going to shift lower. That mm -hmm. two years is going to come down to 1%. It's not going to stay up at 1.5. And in that environment, small caps surge. Small caps do very well because small caps aren't dependent upon the Fed funds rate. They're dependent upon the yield curve. And if the mm -hmm. yield curve is already ahead of the Fed, now it, what matters is not if the Fed hikes rates, but rather how much the Fed hikes rates and how quickly the Fed hikes rates relative to the expectations. And the expectations are already super high. 1.5% mm -hmm. two-year, we're pricing in five or six rate hikes. So if they don't do that, which we view it as very likely they don't go that aggressively, mm -hmm. then that's upside for small caps. So you can't look at it in absolute terms, black and white, will the Fed hike, will the Fed not, how's that going to impact 
uh, small cap stocks, you have to look at it. You have to remember markets are a forward looking discounting mechanism. So you have to look at it from an expectations perspective. Expectations right now are high. Yeah. I'm, and if the Fed goes more than six times in 22, small caps will struggle, period. End of story. Okay. If they go less than six times, small caps will do well. If they go substantially less than six times, let's say three or four times, then small caps are going to do very well. And so I think that at the end of the day, the risk reward profile in small caps, considering the Russell 2K is in a bear market territory, a lot of these stocks have been wiped out 50% or more. And the expectations market is really pricing in a lot more aggressive Fed than what I think is, is likely to happen. The risk reward profile in small caps right now is, is pretty favorable for longs. And so I like small caps in the current environment. All right. Well, moving along, Killa Creations uh, has this to say, YOLO or all in on one stock for the next 30 to 90 days What's the ticker? I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but go ahead. What's my answer going to be? That you're going to, that 30 to 90 days is not the way to make money, that there is better long-term plays. And what is that one good stock for that long-term play that you're willing to recommend right now? Yeah, uh, that is, that is a fantastic, um, interpretation of what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm learning, uh, Luke. I'm learning every week we talk about this stuff. I am, and I am all in on everything that you were that you are saying. So give it to us. What I is the? It. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The response there is I don't invest for 30 to 90 days. Uh, most good investors do not invest for 30 to 90 days. Um, and that is a very short window. And in markets like this, bear markets, fears of recession, wartime, during times like this, you cannot have a short-term window. Having a short-term window is a recipe for absolute failure in markets like this. The only way you succeed in markets like this is you have a long-term window. You zoom out and you look at the big picture and you take a deep breath and you realize this too shall pass because this too always passes. Mm -hmm. So the question shouldn't be, YOLO all in, next 30, 90 days, what stock to buy? It should be YOLO all in. Yeah. What stocks to buy for the next five years? Right. Okay. You know, what, what's the name out there right now that mm -hmm. that is just so discounted with such great potential that in five years I'm gonna make 10x, 15x, 20x my money on? That's the question. And the answer is sign up for innovation investor and I'll try <laughs> Perfect. Uh our last question comes from Marco Chu. Very interesting thoughts. May I ask, is the current Astra price action a concern? Astra. Yes, Astra. We love Astra as a company. We think they have a great management team. We think their technology of building these small rockets is, is, is a huge value prop for that. We think that business is going to be very big long term. But they have had some a really rocky start. I mean, their rockets are not launching in the way that some of their competitors rockets are they've had some bumbles in the process and detachment issues so there's been some technical hurdles there that have really caused the stock to go in the opposite direction of what we want it to go but as my lead rocket analyst told me <laughs> this is no, I, yeah, we, we have a rocket. You have a lead. Analyst. I didn't know. I didn't know uh, you had a lead rocket analyst. Um, told me that this is rocket science, Luke. 
This is literally rocket science. And if we don't expect them to mess up once, twice, three, four, even a dozen times, Mm -hmm. then this is not the space to be invested in. Mm -hmm. These are companies that are going to mess up a lot. But the fact of the matter is, so long as they're making progress, each mess up is less significant than the one before. So long as they're making progress towards having a viable business model, where they can sustainably launch small rockets, you know, at a cadence of multiple times a week, mm-hmm. then the investment thesis there remains unchanged. That's where we stand. Mm-hmm. Based on their progress and what they're doing, we think each mess up has been less significant than the previous mess up and that they're mm-hmm. actually making progress towards what they eventually want to achieve. But the technical hurdles are a little bit concerning. So mm-hmm. we're kind of like, all right, Maybe let's not double down, triple down, quadruple down on the sell-off. Let's wait for them to prove it. Let's wait okay. for Astra to prove that they can reach space safely, put satellites in space safely. Once they do that, okay, we're back in. Because the fact of the matter is the stocks come from $10 down to like $3 and change. If they have that successful launch, maybe we go to five or six in a couple of days. You can still double down, triple down at five or six, mm-hmm. and it's still well off that $10 price and well off where it could be in the long term, which is a $40, $50, $60 stock. So by waiting a little bit here, you are saving yourself a lot of downside risk, but not risking that much upside potential. And so um, missing out on that much upside potential. So we think the best thing to do is if you have a position, stay, chill out, relax. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they start to get you know, have that successful launch, then yeah, double down, triple down, really get into that name because we still like it long-term. We just want them to prove themselves in the near term. Well, as always, great insights uh, and the feedback and the questions that we're getting from our viewers and listeners has been amazing. Uh, You know, I think everybody loves listening to you. I love listening to you. Um, hey, you know, here, on that note, let's 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 keep talking because the more we talk, the more the markets go up. So keep rolling. <laughs> well, I was about to say, do you have any last words before we wrap? And I guess you just want to keep the party going for just a little longer. Just keep going because I noticed we were, you know, we were kind of flattish when we started this call, and man, we've just kind of taken off a little bit. So keep going, keep going. You got any more? The, the world is listening to you, and the market just continues to rise with every word that you the say. World is, the world is listening to me to my non-live stream that is currently <laughs> being recorded just between you and me uh, that nobody else is seeing, and that is having an impact on the financial markets. I love that logic. That's the type of logic that gets people to buy oil at 130. But anyways. Exactly, let's uh, do it. Besides that, well, no, I don't, have, I don't have any final words, Aaron. It's uh, It's been another fun week. Um, I just, I think the final word I would have is periods like this are common. They happen. Mm-hmm. This is what markets are about. The difference between people who make money in markets and lose money in markets is the one who lose money in markets lose their shirts during this time. They mm-hmm. sell, they capitulate, they're out, they run for the hills, they try to time the market, and then they end up buying high, selling low. The people who make money in markets are those who just kind of chill. I got in, let's say you got in in March 2020. Fantastic, you're up huge. Let's say you got in in March 2021. Eh, maybe you're flat. Let's say you got in in December 2021. Okay, you're down. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. All three of you folks are going to be up by December 2024, are going to mm-hmm. be up by December 2025, are going to be up by December 2026. So it doesn't matter when you got in. It matters when you get out. 
and mm-hmm. don't get out when things are low because stocks mm-hmm. have an upward bias. They go down, mm-hmm. bottom left to upper right. That's what yep. stocks do. They have a strong upward bias. And at the moment, they stop having a strong upward bias. So at the moment, the buy the dip thesis doesn't work, then we have much bigger problems than your portfolio. Because that means the U.S. economy is failing that in a way that has never failed before. Yeah. That probably means the global economy is failing in a way that it never has before. So if there comes a day when this upward bias for stocks, which has lasted since the beginning of time, breaks, then... What stocks you own doesn't matter because you have way bigger problems. I have way bigger problems. The whole world has way <laughs> bigger problems. And it's funny. There was actually there was a research note that came out from a, some bank over the weekend. And <laughs> the headline was that they assess a 10% probability of a nuclear apocalypse over the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. A 10% probability, which is that's that's way too high. That's not what that's, the real odds yeah, are. Yeah, it sounds a little high, but but it's funny that they say that, which would mm-hmm. totally freak you out and make you yeah. think that what you should do is just sell everything and hunker down. And yet at the end of the note, they say, stay long stocks. And <laughs> their reasoning is that, hey, if if a nuclear warhead is heading your way, your portfolio doesn't matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> Stay long stocks. And that, and that's uh, what, as weird as that may seem and as, as funny as it is, it's, it's actually yeah. true. And it's the ethos that I'm using here that stocks are. Problems. Yeah. Stocks well, are going to rebound. And um, you, uh, you shouldn't worry about the situation if they don't, because if that does happen, which there's a 0.01% chance it does happen, but if it does happen, then. Um, yeah, we got bigger problems and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Until that does that day does come, buy the dip in stocks because they go up over time. Plain and simple. Well, leaving it off on that interesting note, uh, we just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, again, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, please leave them in the comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback on what topics you'd like us to cover and see if Luke can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all.